From Relay FM, this is Analog Episode 18. This episode is brought to you by our fine sponsors, Igloo, an internet you'll actually like. Lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts for a free 10-day trial. Visit lynda.com slash analog. PDF Pen Scan Plus from Smile, the app for mobile scanning and OCR and Cuskers. Take pride in what you drink. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Casey Liss. Hi, Casey Liss. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm excited. How's things going? Good. We've got a big show today. I've, I, yes, I, we do. I and the listeners have been working hard on this show. Um, I see your implied statement there, sir. It was not an implied statement. I just wanted to, to say that we've had a lot of listener participation for this week's show. Because and I promised good. to put it together for you anyway, so there shouldn't be any 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 bad feeling. Um, so we're going to talk about self-confidence today. That That's going to be kind of like the, the main topic of today's episode. Um, I mean, I, I'm going into this. I'm going to lay it all out on the line, Casey List, so you can you can take a you can take your own stance on that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of feels today, huh? Yes, I'm, I'm I'm already warming up for some tears, but we'll see how we go throughout the show. But oh, we great. do have some follow up. Uh, yes, on, we do about last week's episode. Yes, we so, do. So, uh, what is Unladen Follow? Um, it is a website and kind of like a web service that is written by a friend of mine, Alan Pike. Uh, who runs Steam Clock Software. He uh, he wrote this, or I believe it was him, uh, wrote this web service called Unlaid and Follow, which, yes, I am aware that is a uh, Monty Python reference. Anyway, what it allows you to do is you can put in a Twitter account name or you can sign in with Twitter and it will look at the tweet load for that user, which is pretty much exactly what I was describing last week in our Twitter focus show. And so, for example, looking at it right now as we record, the tweet load for my account is 4.6, which is a completely arbitrary measure. But by comparison's sake, your tweet load is 53.6, which is considered a storm as opposed to my breeze. And a friend of the show, Glenn Fleischman, has a tweet load of 754.3, which is considered a hurricane. So what this allows you to do is get some sort of gauge as to how much of a burden you're co- you're going to be putting yourself under if you follow a new account. And uh, I feel a- like that you are cheating because because you have a baby now because you don't tweet as much. And I think if we would have done this a few months ago, you would have had a much higher score than this. Eh, possibly. I've no, also been definitely. very. Bu- I've also been very busy at work, which has been a big part of the problem. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not busy enough. You know, I am too. Uh, th- those of us who actually have jobs, we have to, you know, actually work for a living. Hey, oh. I'll anyway, it. I'll take it. So yeah, so uh, so that that is unladen follow. I put a blog post up about it, um, and so I definitely recommend it. It is far more complex than not in terms of how you use it, but in terms of how it works than what I had asked for, but it is extremely cool. Really, really like it. I had known when we recorded that Alan had done something like this in the past, but I was under the impression that he had retired it. And I think there was a time that he um, did retire it, but it has since risen from the ashes, Phoenix style. Um, So yeah, so it's a really neat service and you should check it out. Now, uh, another friend of the show, um, uh, Virginia, whose last name I'm drawing a blank. I feel terrible now. Very good friend of the show, apparently. Um, anyway, she Virginia had also. Roberts, Casey. Thank you, God, I'm I'm the worst. Virginia Roberts uh, had also recommended a different service called Manage Filter, and did you check that out? Because I didn't get a chance to. 
well, I looked at their their page. It's Manage Flitter. I know that's difficult to see in the URL, right? But it's Manage Flitter. That's what I said. Not really. Uh, and it's it seems to be much more of a um a tool where you plug your information in and then they kind of help you weed out your followers and stuff like that. It, this seems like more of an enterprise-y uh, social media expert-y type tool. I got you. Um, so it's like, you know, you could you, you could put your, your account in there and it can show you who is too noisy, who is spammy, inactive accounts, pull those things out. Um, mm-hmm. That's what that's for. So this is like, you know, this is more of a tool that you can find this information out and make changes on it. Um, where unlaid and follow is just Alan's like sort of uh, take on things, and it's it's not as heavy, right? Well, and also unlaid and follow does allow you to log in with Twitter and and see who the most burdensome of your existing follows are, which might be kind of interesting if you wanted to uh, call your follow list a little bit. But um, either way, these are two tools that can um, do the sort of thing we were talking about for you. Now, another thing we got a lot of feedback about is a lot of people wondering, well, why don't we use Twitter lists? And I don't have the individual uh, email in front of me, but somebody wrote us an email saying something along the lines of, I follow 2,000 people. I really feel guilty unfollowing people, but my timeline is basically useless now, so I just exclusively use Twitter lists. Now, do you use lists, Mike? I like to think I use lists. So like I've set them up, I've subscribed to them, and then I just forget that they exist. Uh, Federico uses them quite a bit, and you know, in his post that he was talk that he wrote about like the Twitter client comparison thing, mm-hmm. um, he talks about how he uses them, and he seems to use them to to quite good effect. And you can see how it makes sense for him, but I kind of forget about them, and then you know, I I feel like to create lists of the people that I already follow. So it keeps things less noisy, feels like a band aid over like a bullet hole. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like it's a solution. It feels like it right. kind of like to me, and I'm, this is not me imparting my judgment upon anybody that does this. It feels like you're kind of like hiding from what you perceive to be a problem. Right, right. Uh, and maybe, maybe it is time to just start removing people. Yep. I, I tend to agree with you. And um, I, I do have a, I have three lists, all of which are private, none of which I ever look at whatsoever. So I, I do not tend to use Twitter lists. I can conceive why it would be neat or useful for some people. But um, for me, I just, I, I want one Twitter timeline. My one timeline is my timeline. Yeah. I don't want to have to go to different things. I I already feel enough burden just trying trying to be a completionist and often failing. So I, I'm not a list kind of guy. But you know, if that's what works for you guys, then power to you. The more and more I've been thinking about it, the more and more I think I should pull away from completionism. Oh yeah, just earlier today I uh, blew through 190 tweets or something like that, and I started to read through them all, and I was like, you know, what? I'm not going to have time for this. Scroll to the top. So, like, I currently have 440 over yeah. the last hour. Oh, my word. What has oh, happened today? Oh, you have today? way too many follows. Yeah. Well, I follow close to 1,000 accounts. That's but People insane. are a bit chatty today. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot more of just, like, skimming, which I'm happier with. Just skimming, you know? Mm-hmm. But that makes that makes me feel good. I like I like to skim now. And, and yeah. So, you kind of see trends and things like that. Oh, it's a step. 
Why don't anyway, you tell us about something that uh, you enjoy? I will do. This episode of Analog is brought to you by Lynda.com, an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. With Lynda.com, you get access to a growing library of hundreds of thousands of high quality, beautifully produced video tutorials to help you learn something new. Linda works directly with people who are experts in their fields. Sometimes they work with creators of specific software and hardware to make sure that you're always going to have the best person to help you learn. The courses are broken down into bite-sized chunks, allowing you to jump in and out at your own pace. They make it really super simple to build a course that's tailored to you. You can create your own playlist of videos as well as if you want to, so you can watch what you want to watch and when you want to watch it. They have transcripts that appear with their videos that helps you so you can read along. You can also go in later and search through them to find that bit that you think you might have missed or need a refresher on. They have great apps for the iPhone, the iPad and Android so you can watch videos on the go. They have a premium annual plan as well which allows you to download those videos as well. But you can get unlimited access to every single video on lynda.com for just $25 a month. This includes stuff on, say, you want to learn design, motion graphics, sound editing, you want to learn photography skills, business management skills, absolutely everything. If for some crazy reason you haven't already tried out lynda.com, now is the time to do so, as we have a special extended 10-day free trial for listeners of Analog. Go to lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash analog to sign up. Go check them out if you haven't already. Go take advantage of that 10-day free trial. It really helps support this show. Thanks so much to Linda for the continued support of Analog and Relay FM. Yep, thanks, guys. So a few weeks ago, many weeks ago, uh, we did an episode of this show with Faith uh, called Work-Life Tetris. And off the back of that episode, um, a guy called Corey Zanoni wrote uh, a little blog post where he pulled out a quote from me. Um, and would you mind if I read the quote and his his little synopsis of it? It's only a few no, minutes. not at all. So this is something that he said. He's quoted from me. This is something that I said on that show. In everything that I do, I always feel like I'm not the smart one. In all of the shows I do, I'm working with people that are experts or really good or really smart at what they do. So I always have this feeling that I'm not smart. I'm always the dumb one. Um, and then what Corey commented on this was, we live in a world where people work with increasingly specialized knowledge. You can even know a lot about one or two things or a bit about everything. And that's if you're lucky. Here's the first thing to learn. There's a difference between not knowing something and being stupid. So this has been sitting in our document for a while. Um, and we kind of labeled it around self-confidence. So when I was looking through the document today, I thought... This is a good jumping off point for this discussion, but I want to go into it in a bit more detail. I mean, and when you look at that that quote from me, especially the part I'm always the dumb one, that is clearly a self-confidence issue because it's me saying that I don't think I can hold my own in some scenarios where there are times where I do, if not lead conversations like on Connected. I, I was specifically talking about Connected with this, I think, as well as some of the interview shows. But that show, I mean, I, I'm not as knowledgeable as Stephen or Federico and the things that they're most knowledgeable about. Um, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm the dumb one on the show. But there are things that I do know a lot about. And when I can go on a tear on some of those things, it makes me feel good. And and I have sometimes, I think, some pretty interesting things to say. But I think at that time when we recorded that show, I wasn't feeling very confident at all. I, I can't remember what was happening around that time, but I was increasingly feeling like I was stupid especially unconnected. And 
It's interesting that I kind of like immediately jump to I must be dumb rather than I'm not the expert. Where when you kind of, when I'm able to step back at it less emotionally, I can see like you know I just don't know as much as them about these things, but maybe they don't know as much as me about the things that I know a lot about. So that's clearly a self confidence issue, right? Um. Well, it is, but you could have all of the words you just said you could have had come out of my mouth swapping connected for ATP. Well, that was why we were talking about it because, and, and if you, if you don't mind me speaking out of school, me and you have had private conversations to this effect that, yeah, yeah. that we are both very similar in the roles that we play in that show. And, and quite frequently it's in the, like, I'm going to be quiet whilst the grown ups are talking. <laughs> uh, and there isn't, there is definitely an element, and I think it's one of, I genuinely think it's one of the reasons that me and you get along so well is because we have this common ground in the work that we mm-hmm. do, um, that we kind of are just like this middle point in our shows that maybe connects more with the average user. But I would say that you are even still a step above me because you understand programming. Yeah, but to our audience, I think. It's like you you have that because I think that large portions of our audiences understand that stuff or at least look up to it. I look up to it like I look up to you guys as all being programmers and, and understanding that stuff. Well, but here's the dirty secret about uh, programming is that really being a developer, all that is, is being able to think like the biggest of idiots because computers are not at all smart. In fact, they're as dumb as you can as you can find, but they're very very fast. And so, I like to joke, but I also kind of mean it, that the reason I'm a decent developer is because I'm really good at being a moron. <laughs> and <laughs> computers are morons, but they're extremely extremely quick morons. And in fact, um one of my favorite interview questions when on the rare times that I interview someone like straight out of college so I can't ask them concrete information about past projects and things like that. Um, I love to ask for a potential like intern or something like that to tell me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And inevitably they look at me and they're like, what? No, no, really. Tell me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, okay. I guess you start with a couple of pieces of bread. So get the bread. Well, what's bread? (laughs) Well, it's the stuff in the bag. Okay. What's a bag? The thing is though, you're saying that this is, but that, I I see that as a very intelligent way of thinking that you are able to break things down to their component parts or at least think of it in those terms. Like that to me is a very smart thing to do. So I I feel even more stupid. And do you know why? Because if you ask me that question, when I'm giving you the answer and you're saying to me what's bread, I'm feeling more and more dumb <laughs> because I'm clearly not understanding. And I get what you're trying to say. You know, you you are trying to you're being very humble and you're trying to paint what you do as something that anyone can do. But I genuinely believe that that is not the case, and and it requires a special type of brain that I not mean, everybody yeah. has. I guess that's true, but. I mean, who knows? But anyway, I don't even know where I started I, with this. But... I struggle to remember Markdown. Well, but mm, I, I can see how that would be, not challenging is the word I'm looking for, but unnatural. That's the word I'm looking for. I can see how that would be unnatural to someone who doesn't live in the extremely random world that I live in every day. So 
I think that there, whether whether we categorize it as such or not, it did start to get me thinking about self confidence, and I would like to to kind of start addressing some of these things. Now we're going to talk quite a lot about confidence in our work, in our creative stuff, in our passion projects. But I think quite a nice basis uh, would be to try and set a standard for what our general self-confidence is like. Mm-hmm. So how confident are you in yourself as a person generally in life? You know, this should be such a simple question, and I don't know that I can answer it simply. Um, I have a very nuanced and... Um, back and forth view of myself and my self-worth. In a lot of ways, I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. I feel like I'm a nice person. I feel like I try really hard not to be selfish. I feel like I try to be a good friend. I try to be a good husband. Now I'm trying to be a good father. And I try really hard. And I think all in all, I do okay. I think I do a pretty decent job. Um, But I could tell you without batting an eyelash a million and 12 ways how I could do better at any of those things. And uh, I I don't know, like just walking around day to day, I would say my self-confidence is, yeah, I'm all right. Or yeah, I'm somehow making this work despite the fact that I'm not the smartest tool tool or the smartest tool. I'm not the sharpest tool in the <laughs> toolbox. Uh, here I go. See, I'm proving my own point. Um, but there are definitely times, there are times when I, I'm really proud of either how I've acted or what I've done or what I've accomplished. I mean, I'm very proud of this show. I'm very proud of ATP. But yet simultaneously, I do think I'm the dumb one on, a- on ATP. So you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's very nuanced and it depends on at what exact moment you catch me, how I'm going to, how I'm going to answer that. I think that I kind of swing like most people do. So like, for example, there are some days where I'm very confident in my appearance and some days where I'm not at all. Um, You know, I could do with losing some weight. I've spoken about that before on the show. There are some days where it doesn't bother me. There are some days where it really bothers me. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was working, like cared about working in my job, there were some days where I thought I was going to be the next CEO. And there were some days where I thought that I could lose my job at any moment because I'm useless at what I do. Um, and, you know, even my abilities now, and we're going to talk about that stuff in a bit. There are some days where I feel like, and this is maybe more prevailing, like this is going to be my career forever. There's some days where I'm like, I could make a misstep. And I have the ability to make a misstep and then everything could fall apart around me. Um, And when I was growing up, I was, I think, if we look at secondary school, which I think is high school for you, starts at 11, ends at 18. Oh, Um, whoa. That's middle and high school for us. Okay. Well, it, it did end at 16, but now it ends at 18 and I stayed on till 18. And that's what we call college, 16 to 18. So let's say that those schooling years, uh, probably the most formative years, uh, I started off in those years and I was I was out. I was a big outcast. I was bullied a lot um, in kind of between the ages of 11 to 13. A lot. It was bad. Uh, I don't know why. 
Like, I genuinely don't know why. I wasn't even in, like, the nerdiest group. Um, and even in my group, uh, there were other people in my group that it was they weren't affected so much. But I was bullied quite a lot. Like, more physical bullying than emotional oh, really? bullying. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I had, like... I the most vivid memory I have is in like you know it's everyone standing around in the outside area in lunch and then one of the guys walks up to me and he's talking to me little do I know his friends bent down <laughs> behind me uh and then you know they do the push thing and then I go down on my back and I bang my head on a rock which was awesome uh so you know those cool, those kind of things there was one guy who really had it out for me like I, I don't know why so interestingly uh one of the kids in that group I ended up becoming very good friends with later on in in schooling years Hmm. which is very strange Um, that is strange but we became we became close um i'm not really well i probably am but i don't feel affected by it now it was a thing that happened in my life i'm not unique for being bullied i think that there is probably a very large proportion of our audience that have gone through something like this when they were growing up because of the types of things that we enjoy and I think it's better now, but I know that when I was growing up, it wasn't, you know, these things weren't accepted as being cool, liking computers, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and and I think that that, that, t- that was difficult for me, self-confidence-wise, but when we get to the age of 15, um, where we take our choices for our GCSEs, so for our, like, qualifications that we get in that level of schooling, um, so your classes get mixed up. Uh, and then I don't really know how it happened, but I started to become quite popular um, and kind of got in with the popular crowd. And, and then my confidence levels maybe grew and that helped me a lot, I think, later in life. Because I didn't go to university either, so I didn't have like those formative years that right, many right. people have. Um, so I think my confidence... It was bad when I was younger, and I and I think I managed to overcome it by being more popular, which is a terrible way, I think, to deal with something like that. But I think it did genuinely help me because I was kind of, I was a kid that it could have gone either way, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that I'm I'm more rounded now because I was able to have that other experience of being more social, because you know I. There, you know, I didn't want to go to school and, you know, all that kind of stuff would be, you know, to say that I was sick a lot because I didn't want to go in. So I think that that, that so maybe some of the underlining self-confidence that I have could come from an experience like that. I don't really know where it would come from, but maybe that is one place. But what was it like for you growing up, Casey? Would you say that you were a confident kid? No, God, no. Um I remember vividly crying a few times in kindergarten, and my then kindergarten teacher made fun of me for it. Oh, um, what? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's terrible. Like passive aggressively. Like if if memory serves, um, oh, God. yeah. So if memory serves, we were making like little. Um, it was something around Thanksgiving, I believe, and we were making like little, um, like Native Americans or something like that, and she was giving. Um, and, and the teacher assigned everyone like a Native American name. And, um, you know, typically the, the stereotypical Native American name is, you know, like Drooping Eagle or something like that. And I can't remember for life me what it was, but it was basically like cries a lot was the effective wow. like Native American name she gave my little uh a little model Native American. But um Oh my yeah. she she was a bully. 
Yeah, kind of. Um, in high school, I was, I was emotionally bullied. Well, actually in middle school. So this is, I don't know, 12, 10 through 13, 10 through 14, something around there. Um, I, I was bullied, um, quite a lot, but it was never physical. It was never, ever physical. It was always emotional. Um, and in high school, I never really was bullied, but I was certainly not one of the popular kids. Um, in my freshman year of high school, I kind of fell into a group that was, they were kind of like the losers. Like, I don't mean that. I mean, it's kind of derogatory and I don't mean it necessarily, but it was, you know what I mean, right? It was, it was the kids you could tell were not probably going to go anywhere in life. And I was, you know, an honor, an honors student. I was, um, I was a pretty darn good high school student. I was a terrible college student, but a pretty good high school student. And, um, and, and I fell in with them freshman year and then sophomore year. I don't know what happened exactly, but somehow I ended up falling in with a group of kids that were not the popular kids were nerdy, but not like made fun of nerdy, you know, like we were social nerds, I guess is the best way I could describe it. And I feel like I was to some degree kind of the patriarch of the little clique that we ended up forming around each other. And I think that helped a lot. And it's a very similar thing to what you're describing. People kind of, kind of looked up to you maybe a little bit. Yeah. And it's funny because in my line of work, I mean, I'm a pretty good developer, but I'm not the best in the world, but I can talk to people and I don't mean that to insult all my developer friends that are listening and, 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 you know, friends and strangers that are developers that are listening. But I think it's fair to say that the stereotype that most developers aren't particularly social people, that's a stereotype for a reason. And I do pretty well in most social situations. I'm, I'm a little rough on the uh, icebreaker, but once you've broken the ice, I'm, I usually do do all right. And so because of that, I've gotten a lot more confident in my adult life in that I feel like I can carry a conversation with almost anyone. And that's, that's a big deal. You know, that's not insignificant and that helps a lot. And so my work life, you know, I, I feel like, I, I feel like I'm pretty good in front of our clients. I tend to be a little, uh, more casual than I think some of my bosses would like, but that's just how I am. You know, I want everyone to be friendly. I want everyone to kind of skip and hold hands. And, um, and so because of that, clients tend to like me and I tend to get away with saying things I probably shouldn't be saying. And that helps my confidence. But on the other side of the coin, um, I work with incredibly, 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 incredibly smart developers. And I feel like I am middle of the road at best amongst the developers I work with. And that that's hard. Additionally, um, when I was at university slash college, um, I was a terrible student, woefully bad student. I barely graduated. And that was hard. That was super hard. And I, I, the program I studied is computer engineering. And at the time, that was considerably more difficult at the school in which I attended than computer science was. Now it's not so different anymore. But at the time, it was very different. And I was a terrible student. I cannot even begin to describe how terrible a student I was. And I, like I said, I barely made it out alive, but in the end of the day, I didn't drop out of engineering. I didn't drop out of college. I got out of college in four years, but a couple of summers 
So I, but it was hard. Yeah. I went from being a really smart high school kid to a freaking idiot in college. And that's tough. I don't know where I'm going with this. I know I'm rambling, but I guess what I'm trying to say in summary is that I've had moments of extreme self-confidence and moments of extreme self-hatred. And I seem to fluctuate back and forth between them all, which I don't think is abnormal. So looking at how some of this um, manifests manifests itself in your current daily life, there was something interesting that you, you put into this uh, conversation a while back about how you maybe feel, or like this is maybe like the royal you, <laughs> that you're, maybe your pictures aren't good enough to show on Flickr, um, so you think that you're a terrible photographer, even though you're actually better than anyone you know in real life, but you're not maybe as good as some of your internet friends or some of the people that you know that contribute to these social networks. Like, sure. you know, sometimes I feel like on Instagram, like I'm competing with everybody to, to get the best shot, and it feels like I can never really just get it. Like, my girlfriend will look at my pictures and she's like, oh, they're good. I'm like, tell me how you would have done it. Because uh, <laughs> she's, she's much more artistic than I am. So she can always maybe, or like she can take it and she will always make it look better. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that you have to compete with people? Like, like so you wouldn't necessarily want to put your uh, new amazing pictures onto a social network like Flickr because you'll feel like that there are people that are better than you and you, you, you maybe feel like your stuff isn't as good. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I had written what you just described in the document about maybe I shouldn't join Flickr, put my pictures on Flickr or whatever, because in large part, I I go through that struggle all the time. Like, look at the pictures that um, Marco and Tiff put up or Sean Blanc puts up. I mean, his pictures are ridiculous. He's now selling um, a bunch of holiday pictures for like two or three bucks or something like that. And as far as I know, he took all of them and post-processed them, et cetera. And Sean is an amazing photographer. Like, he's he is, so good. He's so good. And it's so annoying. Does because it make I'm it worse because so you have the same camera? Eh, no, not really. I don't. Okay. That doesn't bother okay. me as much. But I, it, it's just tough because I can't help but judge myself against what he's done. Even though I might be the only one doing that. I still can't help but judge myself against the amazing pictures that Sean Blanc takes. And gosh, these are good. I hadn't seen them yet. What Sean's? Yeah, these are. Oh, the incredible. holiday thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you should put that in the chat in in the show notes for uh, everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's hard not to judge myself against him. And as I've gotten older, and as I've gotten more mature, and perhaps more self confident, or Maybe alternatively, I just care less, but um, either way, I'm getting better with that sort of thing. And another concrete example of this is I have a folder in my Dropbox, which I've called abandoned blog posts. And so these are blog posts that I've written either in part or in their entirety. And then I've ended up throwing away because I felt like either I didn't have anything to add or my me putting this up doesn't really matter like what am i contributing how does this really help how does this move any sort of conversation forward and every time i put up a blog post i kind of have that little debate with myself like eh does anyone really give a crap and so like a great example of this um is just recently someone called to my attention a really int- well what i thought was a really interesting article about um 
uh, that Jeremy Clarkson had written about the manual transmission, about driving a stick, and about how it's really, it's going away and everyone needs to get over it. And as someone who has only ever driven a manual transmission, that makes me really sad. And so I wrote an entire blog post. I'm looking at it right now. It is completely written, ready to publish. And I didn't publish it because I didn't think anyone else would give a crap. Hmm. In regards to writing, uh, something that I, like, so when I think about these things, I wouldn't say that I like to write. I don't dislike writing. But I have a blog post in me every now and then. So much that, I would maybe like to, to write a little bit more often. It would maybe be nice. But I can't compete. This is I cannot compete with all of my friends. My English skills, like writing English skills, are not as good. Um, there mm-hmm. are a lot of like just general things that I've forgotten from school and just never bothered to look up again. Um, you know, and like what's an Oxford comma? You know, like I just you're don't British. You're I supposed to know that. I don't remember what these things are. I probably do them all the time. And then you know, like I'm not the world's greatest speller. I'm, I think I'm pretty good, and I am pretty good. But I make dumb mistakes, and I don't see them. Like, and you know, there's this whole like mic chats thing, which is mainly like the stupid things that I uh, misspell. But I don't recognize them quite a lot of the time. And I can read over something and I don't spot it. And I don't know where this comes from. Like, it's just something, you know, that I've I've sometimes struggled with getting letters mixed up. I don't know why. I don't know where it comes from. I think I just move too quickly. Um, The best one being, as is being pointed out to me in the chat room by A. Houston, when I said professional podcasters instead of professional podcaster when I announced the fact that I was about to be a professional podcaster. <laughs> I'm a professional <laughs> podcaster. Um, so, like, you know, I, I feel very self-conscious of uh, putting writing into the world um, where I don't, I, I don't feel that way about, about this stuff, about podcasts. I don't, there are people that I think are better than me, um, but I'm not worried about it. It doesn't, that doesn't concern me. It doesn't make me want to do it any more or any less because there are people that are also good. Um, but it definitely makes me feel that way with writing. I don't feel like I could compete on a on a level playing field with people that um, I think are maybe smarter or better at it than I am. Yeah, but the the real the bitch of it is I can't think of a better way to say it is that the only way to get better at any of these things about podcasting, at writing, at taking pictures is to do it yep. and even better to throw it out into the internet or whatever, th- show your friends, show your family, whatever it may be. The only way to get better at it is to do it and take that criticism and take that feedback. And, and when I say criticism, I mean that as like constructive, like, you know what? I really would have framed this picture a little differently, or you know what? Maybe if you twisted that sentence around, it would have made a lot more sense. You know what I mean? And so the only way to get better at any of this is to do it. But God, it's so hard. I mean, to, to, to look at these pictures that Sean Blanc takes and look at the crap that I have on my camera, which to your point earlier, it's the same freaking camera. Like literally it's the same camera, the same lens, everything. And I look at the two of us and I'm like, I am nowhere in the same universe as him. It's not even the same ballpark. I'm playing a different freaking sport. And so it's so hard to have the confidence to put that out there. 
But over time, I'm getting better about it. I'm writing on my blog more and more. And I'm writing on my blog more and more because I enjoy it, because I think I am getting better about it or better at it. And because I kind of want that, I, I want to own my online persona and I want to be known as an okay writer. I may not be a Jason Snell or a Marco or a, geez, a John Gruber, but I want to be known as, you know what? At least every once in a while he can fart out something okay, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, see, but the know. thing is, like, when I started podcasting, I was terrible considered to how I am now, like, just atrocious, like, because I just started doing it. Um, so I could put the practice in without anybody seeing it. Right. But, but now there are maybe more people that would see it if I started to write. So there's more uh, weight put on it for me. It's more, it's more intimidating because the things that I am most concerned about would be brought to the fore. And plus it's different, right? So in the chat room, uh, Raya Maidan in the chat room was saying about like, you know, it's easier to make mistakes in speaking than it is in writing. But the thing is, I don't get people sending me tweets or emails for every word that I misspeak, but mm. I would get tweets and emails for every typo that I make. Uh, you say that, but I have gotten people sending me tweets from from posts from a long time ago. I would say a year ago, but my blog hasn't been around that long. But I will get people tweeting at me saying, oh, you have a small spelling mistake at, like uh, my about page is a great example. I forget what it was, but I had a typo in my about page or spelling mistake or whatever. And it was one of the in the about page was there when I started my site in like May or something along those lines. And I hadn't changed it that much at this point. And this was just a month or two ago. And so it had been sitting for like seven, eight, nine months, something like that, seven months. Um, and, and somebody had just noticed it. So you'd be surprised. You can get away with more than you think, but I totally understand that point of view. And that's why it's so hard for me to write. That's why I've taken this blog post about driving a stick and I haven't posted it because, again, I don't think anyone really gives a crap. And I'm not sure I'm really doing anything other than linking to Clarkson's article. And yeah, a lot of people have link blogs, but that's not what my blog is. And so I can't help but wonder, what am I really contributing? This is an interesting point. Uh, DB Cell, like Deba Cell, like that. Uh, for anyone that writes anything on the internet, having someone tell you you've made a typo is a gift. I get that. If you see it that way, I would see it as a mini failure, like a hundred mini failures, because that's just how I would see it. Um, because I'm used to having creative work that I put out that, that doesn't really get that much correction unless it's like factual correction. Right. So to to then start having something where it is more more finely corrected, I think would be a bit of a shock for me. But look. I'm I'm self-confident about writing, but it's just not really the thing that I enjoy. I prefer to make this kind of stuff. Let's take a break. There's just so much more to get through. <laughs> this episode of Analog is brought to you by Smile Software and PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen Scan Plus is the app for mobile scanning and OCR. It allows you to scan documents and use OCR directly from your iPhone and iPad camera. You can take images of multiple pages effortlessly and do post-process image editing. You can crop out these images quickly and precisely ensuring that you don't miss a thing. They use edge recognition to make sure that that's taken care of. 
And with PDF Pen Scan Plus version 1.5, it now takes advantage of image optimization too, making sure that your images are always crystal clear. PDF Pen Scan Plus can help you blast through stacks of documents and receipts in one go. You can export multiple documents at once, making batch scanning easier than ever, whilst automatically uploading them to Dropbox or iCloud Drive for storage and availability on the Mac and other iOS devices. PDF Pen Scan Plus can name files by date automatically, and the built-in OCR scanning allows you to grab the text of your documents for copying and pasting into other apps for easy searching later. PDF Pen Scan Plus is a universal iOS app. It works on both your iPhone and your iPad. It's available right now on the App Store. You can learn more at smilesoftware.com analog. Thank you so much to Smile for the support of this show. How do you feel about your confidence as a father? Um... Are you confident in your ability to be a good dad? I haven't killed him yet. But not I don't even mean in like the functional things. <laughs> Do you think you can be a good dad? I think I have the potential to be a good dad. Where does this feeling come from? Like what makes you think that you can do this? Like, this makes it sound like I'm really like, you can't do this. But like, where where do you, like, do you think that you learn from your dad and that's given you confidence? Or do you think that Aaron has convinced you that you can be a good dad? Um, All of that and more. Um, I think, I think I see a lot in theory about what in theory makes a good parent. I am confident that I've got theory down okay. I am completely and wholly unconvinced that I have any application down at all. And um, and I'm not sure I ever will. I think one of the small advantages of Aaron and I having so many problems getting pregnant, which um, we, we discussed at length with, with you and uh, Stephen Hackett on episode eight of the show, or five? Five. Five, sorry. Um one of the advantages of, of us getting pregnant later than most of our friends is for better or worse, I've seen a lot of my friends start to be moms and dads. And some of them, I think, are excellent parents. Some of them, maybe not as much. <laughs> and so I can learn from them with children who are not too much older than Declan what I do or don't want to do. and. That's a really powerful thing. And so I've got a lot of theory in my head, and I'm pretty sure that I've got pretty decent ideas about it, but I am completely unconfident, inconfident, not confident, whatever the word is, uh, that I will actually be able to do it well. Okay. I mean... Obviously, I wasn't looking for you to say that you wouldn't be a good dad because I kind of hope that I would hear that from you because I believe that you will be. Just for some very simple reasons, you are a very loving and caring person. Like, And I think that that's kind of what you need. Like, They are like the basis. I mean, I don't know anything about this stuff, but to me, that just feels like the basis. You are a good man, and, and, and I feel like being a good man helps you be a good dad, you know? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. It, it feels like that those things would go hand in hand. I, I don't know, but are you confident about being the breadwinner? Does that add like a pressure on you? 
uh, I don't, it adds a little bit of pressure on me. I think having a lucrative side hustle takes away some of it. Because if the side hustle goes away, I still have my regular job. If the regular job goes away, I still have the side hustle. So I'm, I have a bit of redundancy there, which is a very nerdy thing to say, but nevertheless. Um, but I think what it does do, however, is put a lot more pressure on my relationship with Aaron. Because I feel like I have no wiggle room when it comes, even though I just told you I have plenty of wiggle room because of redundancy. At the same time, I feel like I have no wiggle room with regard to my two jobs in that I can't just decide I'm just going to go and not go to my regular job one day. I can't just decide that. And whereas I can say to Aaron, no, I can't help with Declan right now. I've got to go to work. And so because of that, I think it puts a lot of pressure on our relationship because she wants me to treat Declan as number one, bar none, no questions asked, the biggest priority in my life. Maybe her first. I I think of her first, but maybe she doesn't. Um, but either way, he, the two of them should be number one. And oftentimes I have to say to her, well, not often, but occasionally I have to say to her, no, I got to go to work. Like I can't. I can, I can hold him for a second, but I got to go. And if I'm Aaron, that's a hard thing to swallow. That's a hard thing to understand. But for me, I'm like, well, I, I, I I can't just hold him for an indefinite amount of time. I've got to go to work. You know, I, 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 I can't just stay here for hours, you know, or whatever. And I don't, I don't think I'm making a lot of sense right now. And I'm, and I'm probably being overdramatic, but it's hard. It's a hard dynamic for the two of us to adjust to is I guess what I'm saying um, in summary. So last week I put out a call on the internet for people to give thoughts, questions, advice about self-confidence and received a much bigger response than I expected. So where I was originally just looking for the occasional topic idea, um, it became such a thing that I thought that we would maybe turn this point over to the listeners and I want to start with some questions and some thoughts and then some advice at the end so if you will permit me Casey to run Absolutely. through this mm-hmm. so uh, Zach Khan uh, is interested in hearing about how kind of community fame on Twitter can influence positive and negative, like positively and negatively, self-confidence, how can it affect it? So, like, does having an audience, for whatever that word may mean, make it better or make it worse? Like, do you feel that people want to hear what you have to say so that makes you feel confident? Or do you feel an added pressure to not look foolish in front of hundreds or thousands of people? Yes. <laughs> it's it's For me, it's a little of both. Um, it is... It is extremely, it is extremely freaking cool to have an audience. Like, I, there's no, I'm not, I'm not going to beat around the bush about it. It is freaking awesome to have an audience. It is a real ego boost and confidence boost that, uh, it as of right now, something around eleven thousand people are following me on Twitter. Like that's freaking awesome. 
before neutral, I had, I think 400 Twitter followers or something like that. You know, I mean, that is really neat. And being out in the real world and a handful of times people have said to me, excuse me, are you Casey? Like, how does that not feel amazing? How is that not like the most surreal, ridiculously awesome thing ever? So yes, that is awesome. On the other side of the coin, if it were left up to me and three people were reading my website, like the three people that read my Tumblr back in the day, I would have posted that post about driving a stick immediately. I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But now eh, I'm thinking twice about it. I don't know. How do you feel about this? Pretty much exactly the same as you. <laughs> um, I love fame. I don't know how else to put it. Like, I love that people are interested in me. Um, it's a great feeling. This is one of those things where people are like, get out of here. But it is, it's, I mean, it's nice. It's fantastic. I, I, I love it, right? I think that there seems to be something in humans that like it to be recognized for something, for anything you do, and for people to look up to you uh, or to respect you. It's a great feeling. And it does make me feel. Uh, it makes me feel good. And as A. Houston is saying, it's not socially acceptable to say. I know, I'm being honest with you guys, right? Well, I don't really know what else I would call it. Like having an audience is the same thing. It means the same thing. One, one is like politically correct to say and the other is actually what it is. <laughs> but I feel pressure. Like like as, as we're going back, like we're circling back around, I feel when I feel out of my depth on something, I feel terrible. I feel like I really don't want to get things wrong and I start to bumble and it makes me worse and I get flustered. And it's because there are people that I know will know I'm wrong and that is a terrible feeling and it makes me sometimes feel like maybe I shouldn't say something because, like at all, I just shouldn't give my opinion because people are probably going to disagree with it. And there are times where I struggle with that and times where I don't and it's kind of, it is a bit of a back and forth. It, I would lo- It would be so much easier if it either affected positively or affected negatively but kind of the funny truth about it is it does affect both in yeah. equally terrible and brilliant ways yeah it's it's the weirdest thing and i don't know it's it's hard it's hard not to let it go to your head especially as someone who is and I, this is probably true of every human being but as someone who has spent a lot of time wallowing in the depths of self-doubt to have a tangible to have tangible evidence that maybe people actually like you and actually care it's hard not to let the pendulum swing so far into the confidence category that you turn into kind of a jerk i don't know if you've run into that but sometimes i think i get a little too full of myself and i think that just because I'm Casey Liss of ATP, that people should listen to me. And yeah. no, people should not listen to me just because I'm Casey Liss of ATP. They should listen to me because I'm doing something interesting and because I'm putting something interesting into the world. And sometimes I think I let myself get a little caught up in me, and that's not healthy. I'm going to put a pin in that because... Um, put it in I the parking have, lot? Yeah, we're going to put that bit in the parking lot because I have a bit more about the bragging part later. Um, at Human Boring, great Twitter name, if you started a new project and people saw it was not very good, it would just affect your own confidence in your abilities. So I had this feeling uh, with Relay, um, and, and kind of still do to a point, because I'd already been a podcaster. I'd already been a podcaster on, on in a very popular platform at 5x5. 
if I started Relay and it failed, uh, then I was scared that I would just look like a failure, like I wasn't any good. I was only popular because of where I was, not of my abilities, that kind of thing. So it was a big thing for me. I was laying it all out on the line, you know, to be like, yeah, do you know mm-hmm. what? I can? I don't need to be... I don't have to work with Dan to be able to do this. You know, I needed to show that I could do it myself, which was, as I said at the time, that was one of the reasons I wanted to do it because I felt like I had something to prove to myself that I could go out and do it again on my own and be successful at it. Um, But I am actually confident that Relay won't fail. Yeah. And every day I get more and more confident about that. My self-confidence in general about this business is very strong. There are days where it takes a knock. Like I look at a number, I'm like, why is that number smaller than last week's number? But that's just the nature of the beast. And when I look at it more objectively, I know that for some reasons, for reasons you can't tell, sometimes there's a dip and sometimes there's a huge like bump. And I would love to know why these things happen, but I don't know why they happen. Um, so things like, you know, stuff like that, or like, oh no, nobody's, nobody's contacted us for sponsorship this week. And then the next week, it's like, it doesn't stop. Like, so, you know, there are peaks and troughs of anything, but like in the aggregate, like in general, I am very confident about where my future lies. Otherwise, I wouldn't have quit my job two months ago. Right, right. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. And like a great example of this is uh, my showbot that I wrote, where... Here, <laughs> sure, well, here we go again <laughs> yeah and so the short short version of the story in case you weren't aware i wrote a showbot which will collect title suggestions from the chat room this was for atp and it will put those on a web page for people to vote on and to see the the suggestions that had been made and when i wrote it you know atp is a podcast generally speaking for nerds and so i put this piece of software in front of a bunch of nerds and naturally, they went out of their way to find every possible way to break it. And I've talked, I believe, on this show on, in the past, I think it was early on in this show, if I'm not mistaken, um, about how that everyone going after the showbot to break it kind of hurt my feelings kind of a lot. And I yeah. think if we were to, to peel away the layers of the onion on that, I think a lot of the reason it hurt my feelings was because the 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 gig was up or the, the, you know everyone had seen through my gimmick and they realized <laughs> oh this guy on this popular show yeah he actually is an idiot like he jokes oh yeah nobody knows who he is ha 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 who the hell's casey ha 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 no but really he's an idiot and so i think that's um that's part of the reason it hurt my feelings so much and that actually that same basic idea in a little bit different form has bubbled up again with regard to my iphone app uh, fast text, which I pulled from the app store this week. And um, it it became a joke. Well, it's been a joke for a long time that despite the fact that we are currently on iOS 8, fast text hasn't been, ap- hasn't been updated since iOS 6. And in iOS 7, there was a huge visual refresh. And so it looks kind of wonky right now. And a lot of people would joke, oh, where's my fast text update? Where's my fast text update? And to be honest, they should, and no one, and a, lot, a handful of people have apologized after having heard that I pulled it. it. You know, no one person really did anything wrong. It is kind of freaking ridiculous that it hasn't been updated since two years ago, I think. But on the other side of the coin, being the butt of the joke does hurt. 
And eventually it got to the point that it hurt enough that I wanted to rectify it and I wanted to take the app down. Now there's some other, um, there's a lot of pride related to that as well. Insofar as I wasn't really proud of fast text anymore. And so I wanted it to go away. I think kind of in the same way, Mike, as you made your early, 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 early podcasts go away and they're not on the internet anymore. And we talked about this on ATP this week and, and we'll drop a link to, um, to that episode in the show notes, but I was, I'm kind of embarrassed by it now. Here was something that just a few years ago in 2010, when I wrote it, I was so over the top proud of fast text. I couldn't even put it into words. Now, fast forward four years later, now I've got an audience. Now I have people that I need to impress other than myself. Well, let me, let me start over. I have people I feel like I need to impress other than myself. And now I'm embarrassed by it. And that's kind of too bad if you really think about it. It's interesting because we both spoke about, except for fast text, the things that we spoke about in episode one. You know, like the launch of Relay and Was it episode one? Yeah, that was episode one. But I get the fast text thing because every every day it wasn't updated. It was like another chip away. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, it was like what's the reason I'm not doing this? And, you know, that kind of, and I get that and how that can kind of start to wear on you over time. Um, John Lotz is interested to know how to get, how would we get past the fear of failure to even start something new? Like, how do you get past putting something out into the world? Well, kind of like, you know, we've been talking about this, but I guess if you were looking for a piece of advice from me, um, sometimes you just have to do something. So confidence doesn't even factor into it. Sometimes you just have to do it for one reason or another, whether it be you've been pushed into a situation or whether it be that you've made a decision that you can't carry on doing something in a certain way or maybe you decide that you hate your job and you just want to make the creative thing that you want to make. Sometimes you just have to just just go out there and just do it because there isn't another option. So sometimes confidence isn't even a factor. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think I have two thoughts about this. You can either not give a crap and say, you know what? Screw it. I'm putting this out there and that's that. And that's one approach. Or you can turn that frown upside down. I kind of hate myself for saying that. Um, you can, you can, you can change how you perceive it. And you can look at, let's use the showbot as an example. You can look at all these people breaking the showbot and doing it arguably deliberately just to troll and just to get a laugh. And, and you can say, well, that hurts my feelings that people have made it clear that I'm not as good at what I do as I thought I was. But on the other side of the coin, now at least the showbot is more robust and better because of all of these people messing with it than it was and than it would have been if left to my own devices. Or alternatively, this blog post that Mike just wrote is better because a few people caught a few typos than it would have been if he just left it in his head and never put it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks. (laughs) So I said we'd come back to this. Uh, Stuart Hasley is interested in how do you manage to remain confident in an outward fashion without coming across as cocky. So what is the balance 
Like, what is the balance between being proud of something and telling people you're proud of something and being cocky about it? So, like, you know, if, if we have an episode of the show that we really like, do you do you go on Twitter and say this is really good? Like, do you, do you, how do you feel about doing that? I've done it a couple times. So after episode five, when Steven was on, um, not only do I believe I talked on Twitter about it briefly, but I actually wrote a blog post, if I'm not mistaken. You did. S- saying this one was important. Because I felt like it was important. I still feel like it was important. And so when you're really sure you did something good, I don't think it's unreasonable to call attention to it. But you have to use that weapon very carefully because people that do that all the time, I think it just comes across as cocky. Um, I don't know if this necessarily relates to cocky or cocky versus confident, but like one of the things I really dislike about Twitter kind of going back an episode is people who retweet praise like, oh, Casey, you made a great point on ATP. And then I retweet it. Oh, Casey, that blog post was really interesting. Retweet it. Like, yeah, I don't like that. I find that to be extremely tacky because if I'm following you, I already respect you. You know, I already find your, your, your output be it tweets or work or whatever, interesting. You don't need to sell me. You've already closed the deal, you know? Yeah, that's um, a good point. That's a good point. Actually, probably the people that you need to convince are the, maybe the people that listen but don't follow you, right? Because they're not totally yes. bought in on the Casey Manifesto. <laughs> yes, you're right. But um, I don't know. It's a very hard thing to to balance between cocky and and proud. And there's a great line. I'll see if the um I'll see if the track is on iTunes, but there's a great line by one of my favorite artists, Kevin Gilbert. And he did a concert years ago that he has been passed away for a long time, but um he he had passed away a long time ago. Anyway, you get the idea. Um in, in one of his concerts, he's introducing the band and I, and I might not get the quote exactly right, but he says something along the lines of this guy, I think it was a guitarist, walks the positive side of the fine line between cocky and awareness of self-worth. And I thought that was the most brilliant thing in the world. That makes sense now. You put this in a document, and I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. So I think I I think I deleted it. But yes, it was something along <laughs> those lines. It was in there, and I was like, I don't know what this means. So I right. removed and, it. And I just thought it was the most brilliant thing, because it is a fine line, isn't it? Because you can be aware of your own self-worth. You can be self-confident without being cocky. But then you can go too far and end up cocky. So how do you go too far? I think it's when you get smug about it or when you just assume that you're awesome from the get-go. Like, I respect people who just think that I am the man or I am the woman and I am awesome at everything I do. That, that's incredible, but that's not me. And I think part of the reason I'm so self-deprecating is because it's a way of keeping myself in check and preventing myself from being too cocky. He walks the positive side of the fine line separating arrogance and awareness of self-worth. Yeah, I don't know if that's an exact quote or not. And like I said, I'll see if I can find the uh, Well, I'm assuming it's an exact quote because it's quoted here in the June 22nd, 2009, Kevin Gilbert from tumble.caseylist.com. Oh, there you go. I didn't. I don't know how you found that, but good for you, my friend. Well done, sir. <laughs> so, I don't think I could say any more than what you said. I think that was kind of, kind of perfect. I, I, I retweet. Do, 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ding. I do the same sort of thing. Uh, I If I really think something's good, I will say to people, I think this is really good. I'm very proud of this. I think you'll enjoy it. Or like when we were talking about this episode, I said, I think this is going to be a good episode so far. I think we're making a very good episode. I'm proud of it so far. Who knows what the next, however long it's going to be. Be like. Um, But I try not to do that too often because I feel, for more than anything, like when I do, when I say something like that, I believe in it. So I want people to listen to it. You only get so many of those. Yeah, you cannot cry wolf about being awesome. Cry wolf. That's that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Like, yeah, you, you can't continually keep saying like, this is amazing. This is so good. You're going to love it. Like to every episode. I mean, if I did that, I would be tweeting that like 12 times a day. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Uh, it's, it's a tough thing, man. It really is a tough thing. But yeah, and I try my best and sometimes I do a good job. Sometimes I don't. But you know, you do what you can. So uh, the next that we have is is from uh, at Salandra, who I believe is ah. a coworker of yours. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So this one is is really like this is aimed directly at you. Um, I know that Casey seems to spend a lot of time thinking he's a jerk, and he's not a jerk. However, I think that he'd wave that off and think, well, she has to say that I'm not a jerk, whereas he believed the opposite that I do actually think that he's a jerk. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, it's. I tried to distill that down. So basically, like, <laughs> you might think that somebody thinks that you're you're a jerk, and they would say, "No, you're lovely," blah blah blah. But actually, then you still think that no, they they have to say that they do think that I'm a jerk. Yeah, should be inaccurate in the assumption oh, of God, it. Yeah. Okay. So, so where does this come from? Because this feels like a self belief type type deal. Well, you know. So let me let me talk less about being a jerk and let me talk about being selfish because I think that's a little easier to to discuss. I think I might have talked about this on another episode of the show, but I think of myself deep down inside as a really selfish person. And I think everyone is selfish. Um, you know, we're all selfish to some degree or or whatever, but I think I'm like really crazy mega un, unnecessarily uncomfortably selfish. But I recognize that in myself and I try really hard not to be selfish. And so because of that, I hope and I think that I am not outwardly selfish, even though in any given scenario, my first thought, like if I have a choice between, you know, door A and door B, I'll take whichever one I think serves me the best. Well, or or that'll be my first thought anyway, but then I'll, I try really hard to walk through the thing, the door that that serves everyone the best. And I think it's kind of similar to that. I I I think I'm a nice guy. I I try really hard to be a nice guy, but a lot of times I think I come across as a real jerk. And I don't mean to. I I I don't it's not intentional, but I think it happens a lot. And uh, at work, I can be a pain in the butt. I don't have a very good filter. If I don't like something, I'm usually going to tell someone. And granted, there's a fine line between whining and being constructive, and I'm not sure I'm very often on the right side of that line. But nevertheless, I I can, I wouldn't be surprised if most of my coworkers said, well, he's kind of a jerk. And and Solyndra, uh, Heather, she she's a friend of mine. I would probably go so far as to say he's a close friend of mine. But, um, but... Nevertheless, 
I do feel like she's compelled to say that because she's a friend. Even if deep down inside, she's like, well, he's kind of a jerk, but he has redeeming qualities. So I put up with him. So I still have some more uh, listener questions, uh, but let's take a moment to thank our next sponsor for this week's episode. And that is Igloo, an internet you'll actually like. Anyone that's worked in a corporate environment knows how painful internets can be, but Igloo is awesome. It's built with actual human beings in mind. Igloo has easy-to-use cloud apps like shared calendars, Twitter-like microblogs, and file sharing. Igloo works on your laptop, tablet, or phone. So whether your team is working remotely during the holidays or in the cubicles around you, you have all of the right tools to communicate and collaborate as you grow. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want, where you want, and on whatever device you want. Igloo is truly building a product meant for now and the future, not 1997 and before. Everything you need to get your work done is built right into Igloo, so there's no need to manage cloud apps or services of other providers. And everything on Igloo is social, so as you grow as a team, coordinating people and projects is simple. They also have a bunch of social filters built right in so your coworkers can like the picture of your turkey dinner or comment on the Christmas hats that you decided to wear this year. Everything in Igloo is widget-based and drag-and-drop, so it's simple to brand and configure. And Igloo makes use of responsive web design, so it looks fantastic on all your devices, including that new iPhone 6 Plus that you'll be getting for the holidays. But the very best thing is that Igloo is free to use of up to 10 people, which makes it the perfect gift for your boss's secret Santa present this year. Go to igloosoftware.com slash analog and get started today. Thank you so much to Igloo for everything they've done for us this year and for helping us launch Relay FM. Show your support to them by going to igloosoftware.com slash analog. Thoughts and experiences with regards to fake it till you make it from a Twitter account that I cannot read the name of, so I'm now clicking through to find this person's correct name and <laughs> actual name, which is Jan. Thank you, Jan. Uh, is it Jan it. or Jan? Mm, I'm going to go with Jan. All right. Jan. Jan. <clears throat> Sorry. Anyway. Sorry, Jan, Jan. This is actually how I believe that people get started with everything. Yep. Like Because you can't... Whenever you start something... or you, or I think maybe people should start this way. If you're going to start something, you've never done it before. So you kind of have to fake it a little bit. And and I think that a, a, a maybe a better way of putting it or a different way of putting it is like trial by fire. Like that's how I learn best. Jump in, head first, get burnt, see what happens, learn from it, carry on. I think this is the only place that confidence in something can come from. It comes from a place of I have no other choice. Like I have to get in and do this there's nothing else I can do here, so I'm just going to carry on. I'm just going to plow through. I think that's where confidence comes from. I agree. I, I completely agree. It's especially, especially clear whenever you have a new job. Yep. I think this is where this sort of stuff, the fake it till you make it, comes out the most. Like starting a new job anywhere, or a new company or anything, you, you kind of have to fake it because you've kind of already faked it a bit in the interview, like, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> and on and on your resume, uh, you've 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 faked it a bit anyways. You kind of have to carry that on and and you will make it eventually, but it's sometimes you have to just go in there and you you make some mistakes and you learn from them. Um and data Madsen also kind of carries on from this. Like it can be tough getting the first few successes, 
But once you've had them and you've had the experience, it gets the ball rolling. And sometimes you just have to, to dive in. And this makes me think of you and neutral because you were kind of like deep end. Yeah. Yeah, well, mm, yes and no. So uh, the advantage I had about neutral, which I've talked about with you specifically a couple of times, is that, well, I didn't think anyone was really listening. And and the and the yeah the first time we recorded i didn't think it was going to be released so i could be it, literally the first time we recorded it really was just me and my two friends because i really thought we were going to throw it away and so i didn't have to put on my public persona i didn't have to put on any masks and that was liberating and also petrifying when we ended up releasing them <laughs> so um I don't know it, but yeah, it is fake it till you make it. It's till you make it, and sometimes I wonder if I'm still faking it with ATP. You know, like um, it, it's hard. It's so hard to be on a podcast with two people that you so so deeply respect. Like, oh my god, it's 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 the best, and it's not the worst, but it's really freaking hard all at the same time. And there are times. This is kind of building on what you were saying earlier in this episode. There are times that. I'll go 20, 30, 40 minutes on ATP, you know, like one tenth of an episode. And <laughs> I won't say a thing because I don't feel like I have anything constructive to add to the conversation. Or perhaps alternatively, I am so entertained by Marco and John going back and forth that I don't want to interrupt them, you know? And, yeah. and then I feel kind of guilty about it. I almost... When when those situations happen, when I go a long time without talking, I I'm waiting for someone to take notice of it and be like, "Dude, why are you on the show in the first place? You don't say anything anyway. What are you adding?" And I'm so scared that somebody's gonna find me out, and then, <laughs> and then, and then I'm gonna have to be like, I'm gonna have to leave the show. I mean, ah, uh, I don't know. It's so weird. This brings us quite neatly, Casey Liss, to imposter syndrome. Okay, tell me about it. Are you familiar with imposter syndrome? I've heard the term, but it would probably serve both me and the listeners to have you explain it. What if I give you Wikipedia's definition? That would be excellent. The imposter syndrome, also spelled imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was there, so I thought I'd read it. One's with an O and one's with an E. Sometimes called the imposter phenomenon or fraud syndrome is a psychological phenomenon in which people are unable to internalize their accomplishments. Despite external evidence of their competence, those with the syndrome remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve the success that they have achieved. Oh, that's me. I think everyone that I know that makes anything suffers of this to an extent. Mm -hmm. I, all of my friends talk about this i i've seen many people talk about this like i think this is like a, a very uh regular thing to feel like you don't deserve to be here like talking to yourself like you don't deserve to be here why you know everybody's better than you um like this and this is pure this is like the, i think for for creative people this is like the hardest thing in regards to self-confidence is how you can feel like you do not belong and you are not as good as anyone else and it, yeah it's just this this like crippling feeling at times oh yeah and god it's so hard like when you're on i don't know how to say this without sounding smug but 
when you're on a relatively popular show, or let's try to make this a little more relevant to normal people, um, if you're really good oh, at your job, um, you know, if you're really good to your at your job, but maybe you have a thing that you're not terribly confident in, like what do you do? Because everyone looks at you as being kind of the authority, but maybe you aren't the authority on something. Then what do you do? Like you, you just again, it comes back to faking it until you make it. But God, is it ever uncomfortable? And God, does it scare the crap out of me when those situations happen? So Mark Reynolds um, said, uh, something I come across at work, consistently doing a good job, but not knowing how I did it. So not allowing myself to feel good. And I think that this comes off from that, right? It's like, because you feel you're an imposter, like you can see that there are good things happening, but you don't think that you had anything to do with them. It must have been something else. It must have been some luck or external forces that made you actually good at what you're doing. Um, and I actually think that this is a problem that scales. So as like a listenership grows, and this is something that 83 underscore B uh, wanted to know uh, as has like my self-confidence and your self-confidence increased along with the listener base and I actually those things it seems like the, the the issues that you have the self-confidence issues just go along a scale along with it whether there's 10 people or 10,000 people <laughs> like it actually they don't seem to really depart and the size of your audience or the amount of people that you manage in your workplace actually doesn't really seem to make too much of a difference to it at least if you're me but I feel like, and I feel like because these things tend to grow in increments, they grow gradually, um, usually. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like if you could go back in time and tell younger you, you would feel like you had a bigger sense of achievement. Oh, God, yes. Like, oh, if I told me when, geez, when was it? Roughly 2010, maybe? When we were like hypercritical and build and analyze really big? 2010, 2011, something that like sound, that? That sounds right. Yeah. So I was you know, the biggest of five by five fanboys at the time. Um, and it was like me and underscore, I think competing, or at least that's the way I looked at it as, as, you know, huge fanboys. Um, but you tell me, you tell the 2010 me or 2011, whatever it was, it doesn't really matter. Tell 2011 me that fast forward two or three years and you're going to have a show with John and Marco. Like, are you kidding me? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What do, what have I ever done to deserve that? I shoot today in 2014, the end of 2014. I'm still not sure what I've done to deserve that. So it's, it's incredible, but, but I can only imagine what 2011 me would have thought about this. 2011 me would have, would have probably weeped tears of joy at, at being able to accomplish these things. And yet here I am in 2014, still kicking my own butt about it. Something that, um, this feedback is, it was really powerful to me. Uh, and this is from friend of the show, Will. And Will says, as someone with dwarfism, I say it's all about your attitude. The outward reflection of my confident inner self reflects back on others' perception of me. Self-confidence is all about ignoring things outside of your control and maximizing and harnessing the things that are within your control. I would start clapping, but I feel like it would sound sarcastic and it wouldn't be sarcastic. It was just so, this is just such a, a poignant thing. And, and you kind of think that in Will's situation, for him to have that sort of self-confidence, like I do think that like I'm kind of just being silly, worrying about my audience, right? 
Oh, it's so ridiculous. You think he is able to, and, and that advice as well is better than any advice that you're going to get from me <laughs> in the last <laughs> two hours. Uh, but it's so true. Like it is so much about the attitude that you have. And if you show self-confidence and then people react to you in that way, you become more self-confident it's like the opposite of a vicious circle it's like a friendly circle a virtuous circle oh i like that um yeah i just i yeah it's powerful very very powerful and uh i really appreciate will sending that in and allowing me to read it uh yeah just fantastic no I, i love that i really honestly do uh so the the next piece of well, the next kind of question comes from Stephen, uh, and Stephen asks, any lack of self-confidence due to leaving a certain path because it was the right decision, but still feeling like leaving it was a failure? So quitting something because it was the right thing to do at the time, but do you still feel like you failed it because you didn't complete it? I know a lot of people who feel about quitting the same way Marty McFly feels about being called a coward. I have none of those problems. Chicken. Uh, yes. Sorry. Yes. You know what I meant. Hey, now a thousand me. nerds have probably lost all confidence in me. <laughs> I will no. I will allow you if you want to to say chicken and then I can splice it back together. No, for no, you. no. I'll okay. own it. I'll wow. own it. Look at that. That's some self confidence right there, Casey Liss. Something like that. But uh but yeah, you know, it I don't think you know, there's quitting when you really had the capacity to continue and just or too lazy to. And then there's quitting when it really is the right of thing for you. And I'll use fast test it's fast text as an example. I think it was appropriate for for me to sunset the fast text brand. I couldn't even say it with a straight face. But I don't view that as quitting, but you could certainly say, "Oh, well, you should have you you should have kept it going because you gave up on it. I don't know. Do you do you feel guilty about quote unquote quitting? I I guess I could do in certain scenarios. I don't necess I don't necessarily subscribe to the quitting is success. Like I'm not failure is awesome. I'm not, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think that there are varying lines which can be you know to like that you can fall into those sorts of things i think that it's an interesting way of looking at it i could totally see myself feeling that way about something like i failed at it or i or it was the right thing for me to step away but i didn't finish it and just you know how does that feel i can see i can see myself getting tied up in something like that i just thought it was an interesting kind of um way of looking at things or, or interesting hypothetical yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I don't know. Like I said, a lot of people I know hate hate the word quit, but it never really bothered me. I don't know. Mike, how much does having a positive parent role model or perhaps having only one parent, a positive parent role model have to do with you having self-confidence or lacking it for that matter? I feel like this is more of an answer for my therapist. Uh, <laughs> But I can see how your upbringing can make a difference on your confidence. I think your kindergarten teacher is a is a clear uh, example of that. You know, like things that happen in your younger life can make a difference. Um, my mom was very good to us, and she made us 
feel like we were the most special things in the world. Uh, and, and I, you know, if I have any self-confidence, I'm sure it has something to do with that. I'm also sure in the same way that, you know, my dad leaving also didn't help, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, why Why did he leave, you know? And and it's like, what's wrong with me? That didn't affect me as much. Uh, I know people that that has affected more, um, or at least I don't believe it did. Again, we could ask my therapist. Uh, they can tell. <laughs> they can tell everyone. Um, but I can see how it would have an impact on people. I'm. I just don't have a great gauge of how much of an impact, positively or negatively, it has had for me. Like I can guess that both of those scenarios have had impacts on me, but I don't know to what extent. But I can see how it would. So let me answer this a little bit differently. So my parents are still married. In fact, I uh, saw them earlier today, and. Um, my parents' relationship and my parents individually have instilled a ton of great values in me. Um, and one thing that that relates to the self-confidence conversation is that when I was really, really young, I'm talking like first grade or something like that, despite the kindergarten teacher that was kind of a bully, I actually was pretty cocky and kind of a show off and a jerk. And, and I will never forget one day my dad sat me down and I don't remember if he was yelling or talking, but one way or another, he said to me in so many words, if you continue to act like this, you're going to end up alone and not in like a, you know, relationship way because I was freaking six years old or whatever, but you're going to end up alone and no one will like you. And that sounds like really harsh and kind of cruel, but I think that moment dramatically changed the way I approach life. And I went from cocky to perhaps too self-deprecating, but I feel like I'd rather be too self-deprecating, which is a problem of mine. Is that self-deprecating in and of itself? That's kind of funny if it is. Anyway, um, I think I'd it rather... might be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Self-deprecation inception. <laughs> um, I'd rather be too self-deprecating than too cocky. You know what I mean? So even if I'm wrong to the left, I'd rather do that than be wrong to the right. And um, and yeah, it's just, it's funny because my parents dramatically influenced that in me. Mr. Mathis would like to know, is self-confidence really the secret source for success or is it more about being willing to adapt and persevere? It's a good question. It's a very good question. I don't know. I, I would say it's both, sometimes simultaneously, sometimes not simultaneously. But I, I don't know. Like The funny thing is, my first thought was, well, what, are, what am I successful about that I, can ju- that I can then pick apart to decide if I'm successful? Yeah, what made okay, me successful? <laughs> You know, but seriously, that's exactly what I just thought right now. It's the most ridiculous thing. Well, hopefully it's the most ridiculous thing. I don't know. What do you think about this? I I do think it's more about um, being able to persevere because you persevere through the times of bad self-confidence, right? So if you're able to adapt and persevere, then you can kind of forget about the self-confidence, but I don't think it works the other way around. You can be very confident in yourself, but if things happen that are naturally going to knock you down, um, and you can't adapt to them or get kind of get busy with them, 
you are gonna you, you're gonna fall you're gonna you're gonna falter I, I think it is more important um to be able to even sometimes to just deal with the fact that you might not be very confident right now that allows you to continue to plow on as opposed to just having the confidence in the first place yeah yeah sweating commas at sweating commas on twitter um self-confidence can't come from external sources this is a thought which is pretty depressing for people suffering from low (laughs) (laughs) self-confidence which i like um but it is true uh it starts with self-belief but where does that come from and that is the vicious circle not the virtuous one yep um I, I, I haven't really got anything to say about it, but it's like, well, yeah, so, it is. You know where it comes from? Yeah, we've talked about faking it until you make it, but I think eventually you just have to get to the point that you just give it a shot. And maybe that's out of desperation. Maybe that's out of faking it. Whatever it may be, you just have to give it a shot. And it could mean anything. It could mean um, being self-confident. It could mean writing that blog post. It could mean starting that podcast. But, you know, one thing I've always believed in my head, but not in my heart, is that you will never regret trying, but you always will regret not trying. And so sometimes you just have to, you know, say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to give it a shot and just see what happens. Throw caution to the wind. Throw caution to the wind. So I want to thank our final sponsor for this week, and then I would like to get into a couple of pieces of advice and inspiration for our listeners in you, Casey. How does that sound? That sounds excellent, because we should end on a happy note. Exactly. Although I think the whole thing's been very happy. <laughs> this week's episode of Analog is also brought to you by Caskers. Everything can be delivered to you these days, and now the best spirits can be too. Caskers curate scotch, whiskey, bourbon, rum, gin, and other craft spirits from around the world and delivers them to your door. If it's hard to find, not available in your state, or just plain awesome, the chances are these guys have it, and they'll even tell you why it's awesome. Caskers focuses on quality spirits and distilleries behind them. Joining is free, and members receive access to exclusive rare products at discounted prices. Members can also sign up for a quarterly membership to any of their three clubs, Whiskey, Vodka, or Select, which is a mix of all spirits. Club packages arrive to members' doors every three months with three full-size bottles of hand-selected spirits inside. Looking for something super rare or premium? Casca's Concierge provides the first online concierge service for premium spirits. If a few bottles is not enough for you, buy a whole cask of whiskey. Caskers will help select the perfect barrel based on your tastes and have it bottled with your own personal label. So whether you're looking for a one-of-a-kind wedding favour or just stocking up for the year, this is a great way to make it truly unique. Go to caskers.com slash analog, that's C-A-S-K-E-R-S, and use the code analog at checkout for $10 off your first order. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, to drink responsibly this holiday season. Thank you so much to Caskers for supporting this week's episode of Analog and Relay FM. I consider it a personal victory that we have had a liquor-related sponsor. I I almost wonder if I should just quit the show now. (laughs) Dan Moran, friend of the show, um, and one of the hosts of the fantabulous Clockwise on Relay FM, says... 
People often think there's a trick to doing things, like, say, writing a book. But there's no voodoo to it. Self-confidence is key. I think that's mostly true. I think self-confidence and or giving a crap. Like, you know, and this comes back to the discussion that's been going around our little clique of, you know, how do you make a good podcast? And and this is, you could fill in the word podcast with anything. How do you make a good dinner? How do you make a good, make to be a good teacher? How do you, how do you make anything really? And I think that Dan's right. I think self-confidence is part of it. And I think just giving a crap is a large part of it. If you give enough of a crap, it'll end up good because you'll find all the stuff that's crap, you know? So I think that's, I think it's great advice. Our good friend at Mac Genie, the one and only Gene McDonald, wants to say, it gets better as you get older and realize that you don't need to be perfect to be confident about what you do. And then it gets even better when you realize that perfect is a myth designed to undermine our confidence. I think that's so true. And this is what I was alluding to earlier is that um, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better, but I'm still not great at um, at just giving it a shot and seeing what happens and not really caring if it doesn't work out flawlessly. So I, I, again, I think this is great advice from Gene. Well, I think as well, like the, the idea of getting better as you get older, just experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. older, just as you become more experienced, you realize that you can kind of, you can do it. You can get along with it and, and you'll be fine. Yep. John Regler, my seven-year-old daughter wrote, wrote, don't doubt yourself on my arm before an 80, I'm going to assume that the M is miles, ultramarathon this year. Oh, maybe. Yeah. uh, For an 80-mile ultramarathon this year, in case I needed a boost. Wise words. It's funny how little kids can sometimes say things better than we can in a 90-minute podcast. (laughs) <laughs> so maybe true. we should just throw this out and just say don't doubt yourself and just put that in the feed oh show over job well done <laughs> it, it nearly is and kind of the last uh the last the last piece that i have for today comes from oh man um h uh, hmm. uh, hmm. <laughs> help me please help me uh, ivan Jertness? I'm sure Hertness? I butchered that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. So sorry. I'm not confident in saying your name. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. Uh, my experience is that it's always good to look at how much better I am now than what I used to be and to look at the things I wasn't able to do that I can do now. So look back. Look back at your experience. The experience that Gene tells you you're going to get. Look back at it. Feel good about it. Yeah. I think this is all absolutely wonderful advice. And you know... <laughs> This may be a do as I say, not as I do moment, but really we all have things to be proud of. And maybe, maybe I want to be proud of being a awesome iOS developer. And that's not where I am today, but I should be proud of being a decent podcaster. See, there I go. Self-deprecating again. Did you hear that? Awesome to decent. Anyway, um, <laughs> to be in somewhat okay at podcasting. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know what I mean? But uh, so, you know, I, I, I should take pride and I should be confident about myself because I'm an awesome podcaster, ding. Uh, but even if I'm not an awesome iOS developer, I can get there because there was a time that I was not not an awesome podcaster. And here I am today and I'm pretty good at it. So you can take 
you can take confidence from somewhere else and try to and kind of push it into where you want it to be. And and you just have to give a crap and just go for it. And if there's anything I learned from my my dad's mom, my paternal grandmother, she is still with us. Um, but we were really close growing up, really, really close when well, when I was growing up, not when she was growing up. And um, and she always used to say, go for it. And all the time we would we would talk about, well, should we do this? Should we do that? And she would say, you know what I say? And little seven-year-old me would say, go for it. And there are a lot of different times that that really made a tremendous impact on my life. But no matter what, I think she really is right. That if you really just give it a shot and just go for it, nine times out of 10, you're going to end up with something pretty awesome in the end. I think uh, Merlin said this, I think I mentioned this on the show before, um, it's something along the lines of no one's going to eat you. Yep. So like sometimes like what's the worst that can happen? Just go for it. I wish I could do an entire podcast for seven-year-old Casey. <laughs> I like his voice and he sounds like a cool guy. Um, Something that's really helped me recently is I'm able to draw confidence from something that's not my ability. So like that, you know, that's one of the toughest things, especially if you do something for a long time, uh, you don't always, you can't always find your ability improving. Like you don't, because it's so gradual Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be difficult for you to sometimes see what you're good at and what you're not. I think that's something that we've been able to say along this sort of show today the thing that makes me feel good is that I do this professionally now um, and I'm only able to do it professionally because I must be good at this. Uh, and the fact that I am able to do, to do the podcasting stuff as my profession gives me confidence. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm very, I feel very lucky that I am able to have that, like to be able to, to draw that confidence from from that place because I think that's quite uh, a rare thing that you're able to do and and I do feel very lucky that I am able to do that. Yeah, and you know, it you and I obviously have plenty to be thankful for and plenty that that, that plenty of things that we're very lucky for or lucky to have, but everyone does. And and it's in different degrees and everyone has tons of things that they should be thankful for and that they're very lucky to have. And it's just a matter of keeping the right perspective and focusing on that and not focusing on the crap you don't have. I'm very proud of this episode. I think we did pretty well. I think you did really well. I did okay. <laughs> if you want to find the show notes for this week's episode of Analog, you want to point your web browser at relay.fm slash analog slash 18. Thanks again to our fantastic sponsors for this week's episode. The great folks over at Linda, Smile, Igloo, and Cascas. We'll be back next time with another episode of Analog. If you want to listen live to this show, you should. We have a very great chat room. Thank you, chat room. Uh, if you go to relay.fm schedule, you can find out when Analog will be broadcasting. If you'd like to find myself online, I'm at iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E. Casey is at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. And we'll be back next time. But for now, say goodbye, Casey. See you later, Mike.